You're listening to The Savings Tip Jar with Dom Beattie and Harrison Asprey, powered by savings.com.au. Your home of consumer finance news, guides and product comparisons. Yes, hello. Welcome to our third episode of The Savings Tip Jar, the podcast about the latest in banking and finance, but with a focus on what's relevant to the savings of everyday Aussies. I'm Don Beatty, and alongside me for round three of more legal tender talking is uh, Harrison Asprey. G'day, Harrison. G'day, Dom. It's nice to be here again. Uh, this is episode three, so three is a pretty good number. There's uh, three state of origins. There's the three Stooges and there's three members of Blink-182, Mark, Tom and Travis. And there's also the three wise monkeys. So um, good things happen in three. So hopefully this is a good episode for everyone. Mm. Third time's the charm, as they say. Um, mm. Yeah, so we'll see how we go. Hopefully this recording saves as well. <laughs> like last oh, time it, it took us three goes. There's another three for you. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, there's a cracking episode ahead. We've got plenty to talk about because it's uh, been a big couple of weeks in finance. So let's get stuck in. All right, so savings news roundup. Um, so first off the, the top of the news, uh, ING has responded to October's RBA cash rate increase, announcing it will increase its savings maximizer account interest rate by 45 basis points to 4.05% per annum. This increase will take ING to the top of the savings account rate pecking order based on savings to come to their use market research. Um, ING's decision to lift its savings maximizer account by 45 basis points follows a similar move by Macquarie Bank. Um, it's worth noting as well, new and existing ING customers are eligible for the, the new rate of 4.05% per annum for balances up to $100,000 uh, from the 11th of October, 2022. So yeah, Harrison, uh, that's a huge huge rate on offer. I mean, it is worth noting as well, it's the it's the maximum rate. So there are a few conditions you're going to have to meet to in order to earn that top rate of 4.05% per annum. Um, did you want to go over some of those? Yeah, for sure. So ING, uh, like a lot of other bank accounts these days with attractive interest rates, do have a few conditions you need to meet. So with ING's one in particular, you need to deposit $1,000 uh, every month into the linked transaction account make five settled debit card transactions um, and make sure the balance is higher at the end of the month. So um, you need to grow that savings account rate too. Um, and it's probably compared most closely with uh, Bank of Queensland's 4% interest rate with similar conditions. Um, and it's also with the age, uh, with the maximum age requirement of 35. So if you're older than 35 um, with BOQ, you, you won't get that, that top 4% uh, savings account rate. Yeah, so this is one that's, that's all ages. We were wondering when the, uh, the who which would be the first bank account that uh, would offer over four percent for um, for people of all ages rather than just uh, the those under thirty five. And uh, yeah, here we are, ING. So it's interesting that forty five basis points um, rate increase. Um, you wonder, did ING maybe think the the RBA was going to lift by? by more than 25 that, that ended up going up. Maybe. Maybe they were prepared for the, the 50, um, and then they saw it was only 25, so they just slashed five basis points off the increase and just uh, 4.05. But yeah, it's uh, certainly interesting. I, I also worth noting that story was covered by our very own uh, Jacob Cocciolone, 
um, the savings journalist. So well done, Jacob, jumping on that story. Um, it's huge. I mean, really, $100,000, 4.05% per annum. That's $4,050 in interest per year on wow. offer. So that's a that's a fair chunk of change there. That's right. Um, and look, we'll we'll talk more about savings account rates later because that's that's the hottest topic in the market at the moment. Uh, we've certainly experienced a a huge a huge rush of people asking savings.com.au about savings account rates and and all and all of that jazz. But look, uh, to a slightly different topic now. Uh, we're going to focus on Queensland a bit here. So any any Southerners, any Westerners, just just stay frosty for a bit. All right. Um, new tenant laws for Queensland. So uh, from this month, October, landlords will be unable to refuse pets in rental properties without providing reasonable grounds. Reasonable grounds could include body corporate laws, security concerns such as a fence that's no good, uh, inappropriate building size, or if the pet is considered dangerous, such as a venomous snake, among other uh, uh, requirements too. So Dom, I'm not sure if you have a venomous snake, but uh, for a lot of pet owners out there, um, it's still important to ask for a tenant to ask uh, uh, permission to have a pet at, at the property, of course. But Dom, um, unless you have a venomous snake, it's a good news for uh, pet owners. Yeah, I might have a few venomous snakes uh, crawling around at the back of the backyard where I'm often a bit too scared to venture uh, because uh, I've heard there are snakes in the area and we've got a lot of bushland out the back. Um, but yeah, this is this is interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, so many people, so many renters, obviously everyone loves having a, having a little pet dog or pet cat. Uh, but uh, when you're when you're a renter, you're, you're often really limiting your options um, because a lot of places don't allow pets. But this basically um, almost makes every uh, available rental um you know, pet have potential to allow Potentially pets. Potentially up for so, grabs. Yeah, yeah, no, it's an interesting mm. one. I wonder as well if maybe, um, you know, having a, it's obviously, it's quite competitive at the moment, the, the rental market. A lot of um, renters fighting for very limited supply of rental properties. Um, when the landlord has so many um, options to consider, you'd think maybe they might uh, opt for the one that perhaps doesn't have a pet. Maybe it's less of a risk to their property. Mm. So there's there's still that 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 landlords have got. They've got the they've got the benefit of choice. But then you know, um, renters who are currently in a in a you know in a locked into a rental, there's nothing really stopping them from um, yeah taking advantage of these laws to um, yeah kind of push the the landlord to let them have a pet. That's right there, Dom, um, and I should give credit where it's due. Um, our writer, Hannan Divisovic, uh, jumped on that in the morning um, and to report on all the latest uh, land tax and tenant laws uh, in Queensland. Um, speaking of land tax, Dom, did you want to speak about that for Queensland as well? Yeah, and another one by our reporter, Hannan Divisovic. Uh, she's, she's written, uh, Queensland's new land tax grab has been shelved by the government amid criticisms from industry experts and interstate investors. So state land tax for Queensland investors will now be calculated using the total value of a property owner's Australian land. Last week at a national cabinet meeting, Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk deferred to the land tax change after the government was unable to rally other states in support. So yeah, this was this was quite a shock when, when the news broke because we've been hearing about this incoming land tax um, uh, amendment uh, for quite a while and uh, a lot of people blowing up a, about how it's gonna, 
you know, potentially drive out more in property investors out of the states, which could further hurt, uh, hamper the, the supply of rental properties. Uh, you know, the, the the government, the Queensland government, was defending this this uh, this land tax package for for quite a while, but. Um, yeah, out of the blue, uh, Anastasia came out and uh, said it had been shelved. But I mean, that's that's the line they've used is shelved. But then we've seen other people <laughs> report that it's been totally binned. So, I mean, what does that mean? Uh, can you see this one coming back? Uh, look, shelved or binned, that's that's the great debate there, isn't, isn't it, Dom? Um, look, I it, just due to the, the sort of fury it, it created, um, not just amongst sort of people with skin in the game, but, but general punters as well. Um, Look, I, I can see arguments on both sides for having for having the law um, in place. Um, it could uh, drive away investor activity, and the theory is that would free up housing for owner occupiers. But then that that's also a bad thing for renters too, because there's less of a supply, and um, private investors in Australia do, uh, for lack of a better term, foot the bill for a lot of um, for supplying a lot of uh, rental supply as well. And look, uh, the most vocal critics. Um, sort of had their way in the end too. Um, and I think it probably would be political suicide to try and bring it back at least so soon. I mean, like people have short memories, so who knows what could happen in, you know, a year's time or, or whenever. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th I think that they used shelled, but it's kind of really just a euphemism for, for binned. Um, <laughs> maybe one day when um, vacancy rates aren't sort of dwindling at, uh, I think Queensland is currently, a lot of suburbs, it's it's 0.5 percent or even less. Yeah, that's um, crazy, isn't it? Maybe if vacancy rates were back, sort of in a healthy range of three, four percent, maybe that they might consider bringing it back. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I just can't see see that happening for for quite some time. So I, I I've got a feeling this one will be on the shelf uh, for for quite <laughs> a few years. Uh, hopefully, it's not the elf on the shelf. Um, but look towards more. Um, sort of dwindling housing demand now. Um, the lending indicators uh, released by the ABS uh, for August was um, was released recently, um, and it shows that housing loan commitments have fallen a further 3.4% uh, to $27.4 billion. Uh, and more noteworthy, I guess, is the average loan size for owner-occupied dwellings, including the construction and purchase of new and existing dwellings, fell at a national level. So the average home loan size fell from $609,000 to $589,000. So that's a $20,000 drop uh, in a month. Um, and that's that's a pretty significant drop. And it just shows, and it just goes to show that interest rate rises are taking demand out of the market. Um, and importantly too, uh, lending for the construction of new homes fell 4.5% to its lowest level since March, 2020. So that's despite all the home builder uh, mania as well um, and that article there was by georgia indian who jumped on that too so uh dom what do you make of that average falling yeah it's interesting because um i mean the rba has constantly sort of said that most people don't borrow um at the top of their borrowing power you know your borrowing power being sort of the, the maximum amount of money that uh, a bank would be willing to lend you so but but this this sort of data suggests otherwise that um you know, interest rate rises are sort of drastically lowering people's borrowing powers um, by quite a bit. So much so that, uh, yeah, the, the the average loan size has, has dropped quite a bit too. Um, but it could also be, you know, if, if property prices have fallen quite a bit, there's not as much you know needed to borrow. So it could be a couple of things there that's that's causing that. But that, that does seem like quite a quite a big drop, twenty thousand. Yeah, yeah. And um, ANZ economists have come out recently and said that a cash rate 
in the three percentage point mark uh, could lower borrowing power by up to 30%. So it seems like it's certainly heading that way. Um, and noteworthy too is the level of refinancing um, has hit another record. So that's those seeking a better deal. Um, it's uh, now hit $14 billion for owner-occupiers, which is a new record. Um, so that just goes to show that, you know, while borrowing power is hampered, um, any rate rises cause a flurry of mortgage sort of refinancing activity. Everyone's looking at their mortgage repayments and go up and up and maybe applying a bit of life admin there to um, maybe look for a better deal. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, we talked about it last episode. Um, all those people that are on those fixed, that were on those really good fixed rate deals that are, you know, around two percent or, or even less, um, those uh, will be starting to uh, revert now to variable rates, and they would go be going from you know rates of about two percent to rates of about five or six percent. So you'd think mm. those people would, would be some of the first people that be they'll be looking to refinance pretty soon. Look, and for in more positive news now, uh, let's talk about some good deals. Hey, Dom. Yeah, good deal hunting. Let's do it. How do you like them apples? (laughs) All right. So there's more uh, savings rate mania, speaking of good deals. So um, as we mentioned at the top of the program, uh, ING has that 4.05% per annum savings account rate now. Um, That's applicable from... Uh, the 11th of October, um, and they're not the only ones in the market. So let's let's talk about some 4% savings account rates. So um, Bank of Queensland has a flat 4% interest rate. Um, that's the total bonus rate. Um, and to get the bonus rate, you need it's a, it's slightly ageist. Uh, it, you need to be aged between 14 and 35. Uh, the max balance on that is 50 grand. You need to deposit $1,000 a month uh, into the linked uh, everyday transaction account, and you need to make five card transactions, so five settled card transactions there to get that rate. Um, if you're not, that that rate drops uh, significantly. I think the base rate is 0.05. So if for some reason you don't meet those that criteria in the month, uh, you get basically nothing. Um, And then for Macquarie too, so Macquarie's come to the party as well with a 4% uh, intro rate. So the intro rate is uh, for four months, uh, which then reverts to 3.20% per annum. Uh, And the maximum balance on that is 250 grand. Um, And while you don't need any uh, sort of criteria, you don't need to make card transactions and and all that jazz, um, that rate does... Uh, lower after four months. So it all depends on what you're after. And then uh, coming in the rear is Australian Mutual Bank, also with a 4% savings rate. Uh, That's pretty much a youth savings account. So ages zero to 18 and the maximum balance that's applicable to is five grand. So that's that's a lot for a kid, but maybe not for mum and dad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So there's a few out there, but uh, sadly none where you can just sort of set and forget yet. Well, yeah, you, I mean, you think a lot more um, established savers like uh, those with, you know, balances of savings balances of over 200,000 or whatever, they'd be maybe looking towards that Macquarie bank uh, offer. Because, I mean, even though the um, the 4% per annum rate only lasts for four months, reverting to that 3.2%, 3.2 is not too bad at all. And on, if you're on balance of, you know, 200,000, uh, what's that? 3.2%. <laughs> Just getting my quick you calculators do the math there, going. I, uh, for this time on a Friday, I'm not not that great with math. So uh, <laughs> hold on just a sec. Yeah, that's $6,400 a year in interest. Wow. 
um, on 200,000, but um, obviously it goes up to 250. So uh, that's that's uh, up to 8,000. Uh, Eight thousand dollars a month in interest, which is pretty handy for some, you know, people like pensioners and stuff that uh, just need some spare cash. Yeah, if you have more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars in one bank account, you you might want to reconsider that too, because the government guarantee on deposits is two hundred fifty grand as well. So that means uh, if in the unlikely event your bank collapses, um, you're guaranteed up to two hundred fifty grand. So if you had five hundred grand. Um, you're not guaranteed that remaining 250. So if you have a fair bit of cash at play, um, it could be a good idea to spread that around to different banks, which is why those balances are 250 grand there. Mm. Uh, and uh, good deal hunting for me in the lending space. Um, I thought it was interesting uh, seeing that Westpac has extended its uh, LMI, that's Lenders Mortgage Insurance, um, the, the waiver of that cost to nurses and midwives. So uh, you know, we, lenders' mortgage insurance is one of those really painful expenses that that uh, when you're buying a home, you, you may have to face, particularly if you have uh, less than a 20% deposit. Um, you know, it can be tens of thousands of dollars, um, but not for some occupations, apparently. So, uh, effective from the 2nd of October, eligible registered nurses and midwives applying for a home loan with a 10% deposit can avoid lenders mortgage insurance provided they earn over $90,000 per annum. So yeah, this is an interesting one from Westpac. Um, they did already have a waiver like that for um, other people, other health professionals like dentists, uh, doctors, general practitioners, optometrists, pharmacists, um, but they've now extended this to, to nurses and midwives, which sounds like a great move. Um, but it, it it does still require you to come up with a, a 10% deposit. So, according to to Westpac, um, an example they used, they they showed that borrowing for a $700,000 property with only a 10% deposit um, would usually see you charged uh, over $23,000 in LMI. So, um, yeah, that's that's a pretty if, if they're totally waiving that, that's a pretty hefty saving for for health professionals. Yeah, and also um, on LMI as well, um, that, that's a hefty chunk to pay up front. Um, it eats into your deposit and banks uh, will offer to capitalise that into the loan so it adds to your loan size. But while you don't pay that up front with that, with that offer, um, you are paying interest on it. So say you come up to Westpac and they, char- they want to charge you uh, 23 grand in LMI, um, you'll then be charged interest on that LMI as well. Um, and, you know, contrary to popular belief, um, LMI isn't to protect you, the borrower, it's to protect the bank. So you're paying the bank's mm. insurance policy, essentially, in case you default on the home loan. That's right. um, and the theory is that, you know, health professionals are in a pretty steady job and they're less likely to default. Um, and look, to be honest, uh, nurses probably deserve it after the whole COVID pandemic <laughs> and, and midwives too, who, who wants to be getting a baby out of there. So, um, um, yeah, and look, the, the savings to be had are pretty significant, especially when you consider it takes a lot of extra time to uh, go from a 10% deposit to a 20% deposit. Now. And until recently with savings account rates so low, you, you know, you, you're treading water essentially. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a bit of a debate often is, is the whole thing. Do you 
you get in quickly um, and, and get get by the house when when you've got the minimum, you know, 10% deposit saved. I mean, well, some lenders will will let you will offer you a loan with only 5% deposit. Um, or do you wait that time to save up that 20% deposit? By which time, you know, property prices could have risen yeah. uh, a significant margin. And yeah, you just wonder what was the point in me, you know, trying to save on a on a fifteen to twenty thousand dollar expense in LMI if the, the the value of the property I was looking to buy has gone up, uh, and the, what used to sell for you know seven hundred thousand is now selling for nine hundred thousand. So, um, it's one of those things. Does the early bird get the worm, or you know, do good things come to those who wait? Um, but this is a sort of a good good sort of medium medium I think um, halfway point with a you know save a ten percent deposit. Um, and you can avoid LMI uh, with Westpac, provided you're a nurse or a midwife earning over $90,000 a year. Um, but it's also interesting that it's not just Westpac, there's uh, several other lenders that do offer mm. um, discounted LMI. So, for example, um, uh, the likes of, uh, well, Rams, which is also Westpac own, owned, um, offers up to $5,000 off the cost of LMI for um, first-time buyers with a, with a 5% deposit. So that's uh, that, that's one deal. Um, I mean, a bit of a common theme here. It's all Westpac uh, subsidiaries, uh, such as St. George, Bank of Melbourne, Bank SA. Uh, they offer $1 LMI, so wow. an LMI policy for only $1. Um, but that's for first-time buyers with 15% deposit uh, and a maximum loan size of 850000 Um And uh, just one more other offer, uh, Ubank, which is uh, owned by NAB, uh, they currently waive LMI for those with a 15% deposit. So no LMI um, charges at all for, for everyone, not just first-time buyers or nurses or midwives, doctors, engineers, whatever. Um, all of them uh, don't get charged LMI. So that's that's a pretty good pretty good offer if it saves you having to save up that extra five percent but you know don't forget as well you know you should really be encouraged to to try and save as much as the home loan uh, as much for the property as possible because the more you borrow you know the the more your your interest expenses will be over the life of the loan so it's one of those things i mean property prices that they're not they don't appear to be soaring at the moment in fact uh, a lot of suggestions uh, indicators appear to suggest that prices are going down so maybe there is no rush to to quickly get in as soon as you got that five or ten percent deposit mm. but um yeah it could, could be worth you know maybe in this special circumstance maybe holding out and wait until you have some bulky savings because i mean you don't want to be faced with uh negative equity do you if uh, yeah that's right Tom. go down you know say you only saved up the five percent deposit but property prices then fall ten percent you then owe uh, more on the on the loan than than what your house is actually worth, so that's negative equity. Yeah, that's right, Dom. Uh, sometimes I just I wish I just threw caution to the wind and came um, to be a first home buyer a few years ago with a five percent deposit. Who knows where I'd be now? Um, but speaking of uh, first home buyers, um, Dom, mm. I understand this is the subject of our next segment, fiscal focus. Yeah. So this segment, fiscal focus. Um, <laughs> You know, speaking of that, you know, jumping in there with a 5% deposit, I have heard some people, you know, friends of mine say they've managed to buy a house uh, without any real savings of their own. It's kind of just uh, with a with a, with the grant from the government. So first time buyer grants, um, you, they're offered by, they're funded by the, the states, uh, state governments generally. Um, 
you can see them from you know $10,000 all the way up to $20,000 in some states. So that's a fair chunk of money and it's probably likely the, the biggest sort of one-off lump sum chunk of money you'll ever receive from a government in your entire life. So it's understandably a lot of people are quite keen on them. But uh, yeah, just uh, last week, there was a report released by the Productivity Commission, which uh, made the case for actually binning these grants in favour of more spending on homelessness prevention and social housing. I guess uh, a lot of these grants are limited to like brand new properties. Um, so, you know, homes you either going to build, like get a builder to build, or they've just been, you know, it's a house and land package and um, you're just buying that. Um, it's to, it's to you know, stimulate the construction, the building sector, um, which, you know, and lots of tradies and just, you know, keep, keeps the economy spinning over. So, you know, I think that's one of the main reasons that the state governments offer them. Um, as well as you know being seen to to help the humble first home buyer out, but yeah, no dumping dumping the grants altogether as the productivity commission seems to be suggesting, uh, it, it is an interesting one. I'm not sure how that would go down politically because I don't know if too many first home buyers would um, you know would see the immediate link. Uh, they would just see that you know money that was on the table to them before uh, ten to fifteen to twenty thousand uh, is suddenly being taken off it. Um, and it's still, I don't think there's been any definitive uh, results, studies that show that, you know, all grants do is is push up the, the, the average sale price of homes by that grant amount. I don't know. Some people say that money, it doesn't really go to the buyer. It's, uh, it goes to the seller of the property. Um, I think the, the Productivity Commission report um, made a note like that. I mean, they said, um, basically, it is driving up demand. Uh, so it says, assisting prospective home buyers increases the number of people wanting to buy a home and the amount they can borrow uh, and the additional demand if not accompanied by an increase in the number of homes available places pressure on house prices and reduces housing affordability so they were uh, they pointed out that um, you know the value of assistance provided through um, all the state and territory first homeowner grants and and also they've included stamp duty concessions um all that has uh is is it cost about three billion dollars in 2020 uh, and that's that's up from 1.2 billion in 2016 so it seems like it's a pretty rising cost harrison yeah that's right and on stamp duty too um I think it is interesting to look at the sort of stamp duty limits. So uh, before stamp duty kicks in, what's the maximum price threshold? So, uh, you know, being uh, Queensland based, I, I can speak specifically about Queensland. Um, so stamp duty concessions are available for first home buyers of properties valued up to 550 grand. Now that $550,000 threshold has been in place for quite a few years now and uh, Queensland and Brisbane in particular have been the the uh, property darlings of Australia. Everyone's flocking to Queensland supposedly to escape what what were uh, COVID lockdowns and things like that, and for a bit of warmer weather. Um, so the median house in Brisbane, uh, by many estimates, so that's from CoreLogic, Domain, and so on. Uh, the median house in Brisbane is over eight hundred thousand dollars. So uh, if you're a first home buyer, um, you're not going to be getting too many stamp duty concessions there, particularly if you're in Brisbane. Um, I think the medians are a lot lower in regional Queensland, though. Um, but look, it's it's the same on a lot across the board. So uh, there's stamp duty concessions uh, in Victoria for up to six hundred thousand uh, dollars. I think the median is probably pushing close to a house for, on one million dollars in Melbourne, anyway. Uh, New South Wales certainly in Sydney, um, the median house is you know one point two, one point four million, and and so on and so forth. So. Um, 
look at each of these these policies with a with a grain of salt. Um, but look, it, any money is 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 better than than a poke in the eye. Yeah, well, I mean, a stamp duty concession is often, you know, is often more um, like a bigger saving than, you know, getting the grant given to you. Um, mm. If you think, see some of the, you know, the typical costs of stamp duty, 30,000 for for a lot of a lot of homes, like the standard homes that are particularly in Sydney, um, you're facing huge stamp duty costs. Um, but uh, no, this Productivity Commission, they're, they're basically saying no to that too. No, that get rid of stamp duty concessions, get rid of grants. Um, they say that just with, with all this, this uh, assistance, there's a risk that um, over time governments may fuel an assistance spiral where the assistance makes Ooh. house prices more expensive by increasing demand, prompting governments to increase assistance, pushing up prices further, and on it goes. So <laughs> hypothetically, Harrison, if all of this was to be switched off, all the, the grants, the, the concessions, no more on the table for first-time buyers, what do you think would happen? Look, I, I think there are bigger fish to fry. If we're, <laughs> I know, yeah. Thanks for that, uh, Shane Warne, big leg spinner there. Um, rest in peace. Uh, so, yeah, look, I, I do think that these stimulus programs and these concessions and so on um, – while they do drive demand, they are a drop in the ocean compared to other big blunt instruments. So interest rate rises and, mm. and housing supply and things like that. Um, at the end of the day, you know, 10 grand here, 10 grand there, the um, and, and other sort of first home loan deposit schemes, they're pretty limited in scope uh, compared to a big dirty interest rate rise or and things like that to take the heat out of the housing economy. Um, and, you know, housing is probably like one of our, our biggest drivers in our economy. Uh, a lot of jobs are tied up in it, so it's uh, for any government, uh, left or right. You know, it's a it's a fine tightrope to walk. Um, you don't want to annoy two thirds of your home own, home owning um, voters, and at the same time, you don't want to um, sell younger home buyers down the river. Mm. Yeah, that's a, I mean, I'll, I'll give sort of my general view of kind of. What, what I think maybe could happen. I mean, if you, if you go rid of all the grants uh, and all the stamp duty concessions, it, it could probably accelerate the um, the property price falls to some extent. But like mm. you say, that might be a drop in the ocean compared to, you know, the impact of rising interest rates. We've, we've seen even without, you know, with, with grants and concessions still on the table, the, the number of first home buyers is, is falling quite dramatically. Um, it, it's, it's fallen from, you know, I think it was, almost a record high is that the number of um, first-time buyers getting approved for home loans uh, during the, the pandemic years. But uh, since interest rates have started rising, um, those numbers of first-time buyers have, have really started plummeting. So this this sort of thing, would, would you think only really drive those numbers down further? Um, but then then again, you know, property prices falling further, you'd think maybe that would uh, encourage more first-time buyers to, to enter the market. So yeah, it's a huge mm. hypothetical. I, I don't know if, if it, it could be all a moot point because we might not ever see this happen. Because, like I say, politically, it's it's quite tough to 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 do to was to get rid of those grants. But I mean, if you look at ACT, it looks like they don't actually offer the first time owner grants anymore. They but they still they, they've effectively replaced that with the um, the home buyer concession scheme, which provides uh, a full stamp duty concession for eligible applicants. So they do have some sort of first-time buyer assistance. But um, yeah, like I said, at the top of, the, the top of this uh, discussion, the Productivity um, Commission is, is effectively saying that 
you know, the, the $3 billion in savings you'd make by getting rid of this should be redirected to supporting people who are homeless or at risk of homelessness, um, including because of rental stress, because it does seem to be um, quite a, a, a rising problem at the moment in Australia. So anyway, it's quite a, it's quite a, a deep meaty topic, Big that meaty one topic. there. Uh, maybe we'll sort of lighten it up a bit with some fun facts, eh? Yeah, fund facts. Uh, well, this one might be a bit of a sad fact, really. I mean, um, <laughs> but it's certainly a bit lighter than productivity commissions and so on. So my fun fact uh, for this podcast um, is, uh, so everyone's probably done their tax return by now. Um, I, I certainly hope so, or at least gearing up to do it. Uh, so someone with a tax bill of $20,000, that implies a full, the average full-time wage of uh, $92,000 a year with no deductions. Uh, with that tax bill, they pay $656 of that towards interest on government debt. Uh, this is because Australia's gross government debt uh, went from $817 billion last financial year to $906 billion in the most recent one. So that's a lot of you know bond buying to fund you know JobKeeper and extended job seeker and things like that uh, to keep the economy afloat during COVID. Um, and look, I thought it was interesting too, because that's that's an increase from, uh, I think the upper 500s in the previous financial year. So nearly an extra $100 uh, is going towards uh, repaying interest on government debt. And that just goes to show that uh, government debt does have real world consequences. You know, um, if I look at this uh, handy list here from the tax office, uh, $656 uh, is more than uh, that person would have spent on uh, public housing uh, that's federally funded, uh, foreign affairs and economic aid, uh, public order and safety, so that's paying for the federal police and uh, and immigration as well, and, and a handful of others there too. So. Uh, with interest rates rising, you can expect that that uh, bill to go up. Um, and I think it is interesting too, because I think we're one of the few countries to really break it down like that in such a sort of transparent way. So go Australia, Team Australia, you know. Um, and if you've submitted your your tax return already, you can likely view that breakdown um, on your tax statement. Mm. No, that is quite interesting. Um... I've often thought, you remember that whole theory that was going around for quite a while, and a lot of people still hold themselves to it, um, the, the whole theory that essentially government debt doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the modern monetary theory, uh, also known as magic money tree, <laughs> so MMT. Um, yeah, I mean, I wonder what, what, what their sort of argument is with, uh, you know, the interest, the, the cost of, of, of interest on government debt uh, rising and rising and rising with with that sort of um, rising sort of level of government debt and and with rising interest rates too, does that concern them? Does or does that make them think no 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 it's, it's fine they can just print more money and um, and to, to pay off that that interest cost too. Um, sometimes I just wonder that it just doesn't it seems so um, counterintuitive really. Uh, just to think that you can just let a, a pile of money just get bigger and bigger and bigger, like the, the debt pile of money, and uh, the interest costs just keep going up and up and up. But yeah, when you put it that way, you know, $656 being more than, um, you know, the the, the um, relevant spend on on um, public housing and and the like, uh, it does seem seem pretty scary. So and that's with low interest rates and uh, interest mm. rates uh, obviously much higher now. So I'm. I'll be very interested, no pun intended, uh, to see um, uh, to see what what that cost will be uh, next 
in, in the next lot of uh, tax returns that we do. So yeah, keep an eye on that one. Um, but uh, yeah, who knew uh, tax and interest costs on government debt could be could be so fun. I know, <laughs> but, so uh, fun. Yeah, so fun. Uh, but my fun fact for this week is on a bit of a lighter note. So I've been thinking a lot about uh, football this week or soccer, if you prefer to call it that, um, mm. with the A-League season kicking off this weekend. So I thought I'd take a look at uh, who the highest earning soccer player or football player in the world is. And uh, according to the website Sportico, this season's highest earner is 23-year-old Frenchman Kylian Mbappe, who plays for Paris Saint-Germain in French Ligue 1 uh, and estimated to earn a cool salary of uh, $105 million US dollars, wow. including bonuses, uh, and uh, $20 million US in endorsements. So $125 uh, million US. So that's, um, that's uh, in Aussie dollars, about uh, $194 um uh million five hundred thousand uh aussie dollar over a year or about 3.7 million aussie dollars a week so i was wondering harrison at age 23 what would you have done with that kind of money well uh look long story short you don't want to know um 3.7 million a week think think of the headlines that uh, NRL players get themselves into um, and times that by a million. Uh, with that amount of money, that's that's more than you know, pretty much any, anyone sees it in their lifetime. Um, that, that's a lot. That's a lot of coin, isn't it? Um, all, all to kick a ball around. Um, but look, there's it, the demand's player, obviously though. there. Yeah, yeah and great, he's, only, he's only 23 as well. He's, um, absolutely, that, he's the next big star. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, he's already a superstar. He's already you know done what Ronaldo and um, and Messi failed to do and, and win a World Cup. But uh, yeah, sticking to finance, three point seven million dollars. I mean, how do you even spend that money in a week? It's it's just uh, I can think it's of a unfathomable. Few ways. Yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you just you know add to your luxury yacht collection, Harrison, uh, that should be pretty easy. Um, buy a couple of new houses every every other week. <laughs> yeah, um, you could do it. You could buy the whole of Queensland. Um, I reckon. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, three point seven million. I, I'd hope not. Oh, maybe one hundred ninety-five million. A couple of little, little islands somewhere, you know, off the Cape York, maybe. Yeah. 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 It, it's sometimes it, when you're on that kind of money, uh, it, that, 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 that could become the, the challenge is um, finding ways to spend it all. I hope he's helped. He's got lots of family uh, that he can help out. Yeah, he's, um, he's probably, he's probably got a lot of people coming donations. out of the woodwork. Hey, I went to preschool with you and I uh, helped tie your shoelace once. Can I have a million dollars? He's probably got a lot of that as well. Um, oh, well, well done, yeah. Killian Mbappe. Go, Killian. Okay, so uh, I think that brings us to the very last segment. Uh, Harrison, you got any uh, spare shrapnel rolling around for your two-cent takeaway? Yeah, my two-cent takeaway uh, for this podcast is... Uh, for the for East Coasters anyway, um, it's a bit different on other coasts, um, is to try and time your fuel fill-ups around uh, the fuel price cycle. So right now, we're, ju- we're just coming off the peak of the fuel price cycle on the East Coast. Uh, and a good and a handy way to uh, look at that is to look at the ACCC's website um, and their fuel price uh, indicator to see where we're at in the fuel price cycle. So for example, 
Um, I filled up for $1.49 per litre a couple of weeks ago. Uh, fuel prices until around today were about $1.90 per litre, and that's all due to uh, two factors, really. Uh, the fuel excise discount is rolling off, um, and then we're at the top of the fuel cycle too. So uh, a double whammy there for motorists. And look, if you're filling up you know, once a week or more than once a week because you're driving a lot for work or, or what have you, uh, that's, that's probably not much uh, solace. Uh, but look, uh, the ABS says that the average Australian passenger car motorist travels 11,100 k's per year, which works out to be 213 kilometres a week. So, you know, with an average fuel tank and the average fuel economy these days, that's that's probably a couple of weeks between uh, fill-ups, uh, which times up pretty well fuel price cycles. So uh, the peak tends to, like the, 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 the total cycle rather, tends to last for a few weeks. Uh, so if you can time that, you can, you know, save about 50 cents per litre or thereabouts, uh, which is uh, pretty noteworthy in this time with super mm. high fuel prices and inflation running a muck and cost of living pressures and, and things yeah, like that. Up. Yeah. Um, my two cent takeaway for, for this week, um, I thought just on the back of these higher interest rate offers that we're seeing on savings accounts, um, we've actually seen quite a few questions from people wondering if it's still worth paying um, extra money into their home loans if they have a home loan. Um, and with that, I was just thinking you've really got to consider the interest rates of both the savings account and your home loan. So obviously, ING is now offering you know, 4.05% per annum uh, on their savings on their uh, savings maximizer account on up to uh, $100,000, sorry. And uh, meanwhile, home loan rates, um, I, th I think it's standard, the most kind of typical variable rate home loans at the moment, you, you're seeing around sort of 4 to 5% uh, mark. But, you know, there could be some people with, with fixed rate home loans uh, that were you know, that they're locked in at 2% or less or 3% or whatever. Um, so that's, it's worth considering, you know, so you, you obviously want to get the most bang for your buck. So mm. um, maybe if your home loan interest rate is is much higher than that 4.05%, it's it seems like a given that that money is better placed in your home loan. Um, but you've also got to consider what's more tax effective. So even uh, if your home loan interest rate is lower than, uh, that ING savings account rate of 4.05%. Um, don't forget that interest earnings are included as taxable income. So every dollar you earn as interest will be taxed at your marginal rate. So that's for those earning between 45 to $120,000 a year, that's 32.5%. Uh, so that's over a th about, about a third of, of that earnings will, will go away in tax. Whereas uh, any sort of uh, interest savings you make on your home loan, they're not taxed because it's not considered earnings. Mm. Um, you, you, you're not earning it. You're merely saving it. You're not actually receiving that that money being deposited into your account. Um, it's it's kind of just savings that's working away in the background. So a dollar saved is effectively a dollar earned. So that, that's, that's another old saying for you. <laughs> um, and I think that brings us to the end. Um, Harrison, everyone. Uh, cheers for listening. <laughs> Bueller. Bueller. Um, yeah, any last words, Harrison, before we uh, do the sign-off? Uh, have fun saving money out there, peeps. It's it's tough out there on these mean streets. Yeah, no, it is tough. But it, saving money is fun. It, you, you feel good when you see that extra savings you, you made off, off of anything, whether it is, you know, your, your home loan, something big like that, or, or house purchase, or, or even just, you know, you, you manage to land the, the two-for-one discount at the servo. Oh. Uh, it, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm winning at life. So keep it up. And, uh, 
thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of the Savings Tip Jar. Uh, as always, if you have any thoughts or feedback, get in touch via savings.com.au's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or shoot an email to inquiries at savings.com.au. Catch you next time. <laughs>